Welcome to the Seller Insights Hot Seat. This is a series where we dive into an Amazon seller problem we want to solve with the help of an expert guest, where we ask focused questions around a specific topic and perhaps take an over-the-shoulder look at strategies and tactics to solve our common problems. Looking for product ideas, for more traffic, for more customers, or ways to automate and scale, our exclusive partnerships with Amazon.com and Alibaba.com integrated with our data-centric software toolset will help you hit your goals. Check us out at zongu.com and start your free trial right now. If you're looking for product ideas and inspiration, check us out at Zonguru on our Instagram channel. It is a pure feed of the latest, greatest products that sell on Amazon and why they sell. Check it out at Zonguru. We have Taylor Smith with My FBA Prep. He's the co-founder. This is going to be a really interesting conversation. Really talking about one of our biggest challenges as Amazon sellers, which is uh, storage fulfillment and everything in between, uh, especially post-COVID, how crazy it gets. And what's super cool about Taylor being on today is he is in the Los Angeles area too. So uh, it's nice to have someone in my hood on the show. Welcome, Taylor. Thanks for having me, John. Very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm. You know, we've had a little bit of a discussion uh, early on, and I think just to give the audience a heads up, what we're going to really cover today um, is. Uh, you know those you know, the latest and greatest strategies of, of how you can be a more effective Amazon seller in terms of efficiencies, nimbleness. How do you get um, your you, you know how do you get stock from your manufacturer over to the US, then into the fulfillment centers and everything else that you need to do around that, so you can be super agile and meet kind of Amazon's needs and your customers' de- uh, demands. You know, and and there's so much that's changed in the space. So I'm really excited to jump in with you as as the co-founder. You've obviously got a super interesting story how you got into this area of of the Amazon world, and I haven't heard it, so I'm 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 all ears to hear um, a little bit of your background story, Taylor, and and how you've ended up with uh, being the co-founder of my FBA Prep, and then obviously covering a little bit of what uh, what the model is because that's super interesting. It's kind of a disruptor in the space. So uh, a man who disrupts Amazon uh, is someone interesting to talk to. So uh, welcome to the show. Uh, let's let's hear a little bit about that that, that interesting background. Sure, sure. Um, again, I'm Taylor Smith. I'm, I'm one of the three co-founders of my FBA Prep. Um, my background was in the corporate world for a long time, and I was always doing e-commerce on the side. Um, I did for ten years concert and sporting event tickets. Took that uh, to to sort of some meaningful numbers as a younger professional, and then got into um, drop shipping from Alibaba with a Shopify store then got into private label, then got into wholesale. And it was uh, when I was doing wholesale that I connected with my current partners right now, um, Bart and Tom. Uh, I worked with Bart in New York City in, in a corporate life. And um, he had known Tom as both a friend and a professional colleague on the marketing and agency side. So when you put our backgrounds together, you get um, one Amazon guy, you get a uh, revenue operations, digital advertising guy, and then a, a marketing sales guy. And that's proven to be um, very effective for our business model today. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like to consider myself, like many of your listeners, as an Amazon guy. And um, as we were mentioning, I'll, I'll, I'll talk Amazon uh, till people are tired of hearing about it. So careful, careful what you wish for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we have a limit on the podcast, so that's good. We'll have to keep it short and, <laughs> short and sweet. Um, so, so that's cool. I, I think it would be good to just explain the concept of, of my FBA prep um, to the audience and, and, and you know, what that model is, because it's different to, to just straightforward 3PLs. 
Um, and then I'd be interested to hear like how, how you guys actually came up with that idea and, and solution. So started either, but, sure. but cover those two points would be great. Yeah. Okay. So my FBA prep, uh, we're the largest network of Amazon FBA prep and e-commerce fulfillment um, companies in, in the country. So what that means is right now we have over 50 warehouses globally, um, almost 40 are in the US and then Canada, and then uh, we're, we're all over Europe covering UK, Germany. We have other facilities, Poland, Netherlands, Italy. Um, I, I think I'm missing some, but we have eight or nine in, in Europe overall. Um, and it, when, when you look at our, our network, um, so we have many locations, which is sort of a... a an obvious differentiator, but not, not really the most important one. So in order to explain that, I use this Airbnb analogy, which really sinks home, especially for, let's say, my friends and family who don't really know what I do. Um, it goes something like this. So if, if Airbnb helps travelers get matched with um, a homeowner in the Airbnb network, well, it's this platform that sits in between those parties and you can search, communicate, choose, a, choose an Airbnb to stay at and, and transact all within the platform. Um, and of course, there's a very important sort of customer service. There's some brand loyalty and um, all of that is built into the Airbnb platform. My FBA prep, the analogy goes, we help e-commerce companies get matched with the warehouses in our network that perform the services that our clients, the e-commerce companies are looking for. And we're a platform that sits in between those parties where you can search, communicate, choose and transact. So um, that's that's the the best way to describe what we're doing. Um, and then the the one clarification point I always add in there, people, they say, okay, a light bulb just went off. It's clicked. I get it. You're, you're like a middleman. And we say, well, kind of, sort of, but not really. I mean, it's quite extensive what we do from uh, account management. So obviously we're involved after we make that match. Uh, and then in, in many cases, like, like currently I was mentioning before we hit record that I'm in uh, California at one of my warehouses, we're doing training where I'm hiring uh, Amazon specialists as warehouse managers with an FBA prep background. And I have account manager, I have four account managers with me who are, who are learning the warehouse side and the um, warehouse experts are, are learning the, um, the account management side. And so together we're, we're doing lots of training, which at the end of the day means the client is getting a staff that's, that's trained, relevant, and knows Amazon FBA prep. That's so important. And that's, I would say, Yet another sort of big differentiator from other three PLs at scale is that we we mandate that um, our employees have that Amazon FBA background. Yeah, super cool. And 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 just personally, you know, some questions that I had, Ryan, because because I think it's a, an awesome model. You know, you know the 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 the, the, con- the concept for me of um, you know being part of a network that is distributed. Um, that hopefully has quality three PLs that meet certain requirements, which obviously you will have to, to get them into your network. Um, you know, it, it immediately provides the nimbleness and, and probably some efficiencies around where the stock goes. And um, you know, to to a degree, you're you're kind of um, mimicking what what Amazon is doing a, a, around the states, right? By, by having a, a network of of facilities in different locations, so um, it gives you a lot of uh, ease and, and flexibility. Um, but the question I have is. You know, if if we're using your platform to find um, and and connect with the right kind of three PL for me or three PLs, um, is that is that relationship then directly with those three PLs within your network, or is the relationship with you guys 
and then you guys deal with it with the three PLs or, or or a little bit of both. I'm just kind of curious how, how that works. Yeah, I would say um, generally the answer is you are dealing with us. We have an account management team, and and at the level of clients we're targeting now, you typically will get an account manager who is working only on your account or your account and one other. But our account managers, unlike I'm going to say like a PPC agency where one account manager might have 20 clients, let's say. For for us, the appropriate ratio is like one to one, all the way up to like one to four or five, but really not more than that. You get someone who, when you call them, picks up your phone, when you email them is almost certainly going to respond that day because we're, we're, we're putting our account managers on those clients in a way to say like, this is your, your job. This is your entire responsibility is to track the inventory throughout our network um, and, and to communicate to the client anything and everything that's going on. Of course, the, the client's first line of defense is logging into our system, logging into our platform and, and seeing almost like uh, a control tower view of what inventory do I have landing in California? What inventory do I have landing in New Jersey? What inventory do I have in you know, any, of the, any of the states that we operate in? Um, but if they have questions about that, then, then they can reach out to their account manager. Um, and so, so the account manager is, the, the client is dealing with us. The account manager is the answer there and the point of contact. However, um, do our clients deal directly with the warehouses? Oh yeah, all the time. First name basis, mm-hmm. you know, they can, they can get an answer they need. And, and typically it's just like, we're, we're all on the emails, right? I'm, I'm right now visiting warehouse 41 in our network. So the client will email their account manager and they'll put on that email warehouse 41. And so either the account manager or the warehouse manager can, can respond to that message and we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Um, th- those are obviously you know, key benefits for us as, as sellers. Are, are there any other big um, benefits outside of, you know, I could typically go to a 3PL who has experience in Amazon fulfillment um, and handle with one kind of mom and pop 3PL, one, one of your, your 3PLs within your network. What Kind of explain a little bit of like, what are the other elevated high-level benefits that, that they would get from being part of your network um, I mean, yeah. immediately in my head, obviously that dashboard, the distribution, the the flexibility, um, you know, those, those are those are really good uh, points so far. Is there anything else um, that, yeah. that really is an in benefit to to the seller? Yeah, it's interesting. We have the benefits that we see, um, but I'm going to give you the the most common answers from our clients. You know, mm-hmm. we we have Rachel who actually introduced us, uh, who who works in our marketing department. Um, she's done a lot of the the research and said, here's what, here's what our clients are saying about our services. And it goes like this. Number one is the account management. They say, yeah, if we've worked with 3PLs in the past, um, the hardest part is to know what's going on on the floor because the response time might be limited or we're not dealing with people who know Amazon FBA prep. So, so I'll reemphasize account management. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll also add to that. Keep in mind that many, um, so if we're talking about your audience, private label sellers, maybe at a million to 5 million in annual revenue, they're doing the prep in-house. And what we would strongly encourage them to do is figure out the time where it no longer makes sense to do that, have them focus on their, what their core business is, which I can promise you is not prep or running a warehouse. Um, and, uh, and when they hand that over to us, um, typically what they'll find is that, is that, we're going to do that more efficiently than than they are, but it, it's a tough 
it's a tough um, transition for them to get rid of it. So they want to know, will I have the same visibility into my inventory when I give it to you as when I'm doing it in-house? And we say, yes, your account manager is your person. And if you need to meet them on site, we'll drive or fly out there, et cetera, et cetera. So number one is account management. Um, number two, I would say our, our platform, Preptopia, um, we, we launched the 2.0 version probably about six months ago now. And the best analogy I have for that is a, a Domino's pizza tracker. Okay, so what does that mean? Everyone knows when they order pizza what that looks like on, on a Domino's website or similar. What it looks like in Preptopia is the client uploads a PO and says, here's my PO for California, here's my PO for Texas, here's my PO for Missouri, Indiana, so on and so forth. Okay, so our system takes in the PO and then our warehouse will check in the inventory within that PO by the SKU level. So you're a private, private label seller, you're sending us a container. Let's say we're doing that in California. You have 20 SKUs on there. We're going to check in those items by the SKU. So you can see when it goes from received to fully checked in, and then it goes to being prepped. And then you'll see you know, when it's sent to FBA, basically waiting for pickup, and, and it's out. Um, so the insight you have, and then you can multiply that out um, across as many nodes in our network as the client wants to use. Um, and that becomes extremely vital, whereas if you're working with one 3PL in California and one 3PL in New Jersey, it might be, it might be tough for you to visualize where is all my inventory at that time. And then for, for bonus points to really drive the point home, keep in mind one of the greatest, like, or I should say one of the easiest lifts a, a, a seller can get, um, and we have several aggregators as clients, is they get purchased by an aggregator or they're at you know, five to 10 million and they say, okay, I'm ready to look at um, easy things I can do for growth. Pretty, pretty typically we see Canada, Germany, and UK um, as as doing direct to FBA, and I'm not talking about um, I'm not talking about the NARF program. I'm talking about actually sending inventory to that country and, and selling there. Um, so now you can view within Preptopia what's going on in as many nodes in the US as you want, and on top of that, Canada, Germany, you know, Europe, UK, whatever um, marketplace you want to sell on. That becomes extremely relevant, and especially if you're a larger seller. Um, the last point I'll say to you know, sort of differentiators and, and, and what we're known for, omni-channel fulfillment. You hear lots of people, especially if you're in your audience and you're doing, say, you know, a couple million on up to 10 million in revenue a year, you start to say, okay, Amazon's great. We all love Amazon, um, but what's, what's the downside protection? So typically you might, I, I heard on one of your podcasts you mentioned, um, a lot of people seem to go over to Shopify because if, if your account gets suspended for sometimes a good reason, sometimes for no reason at all, then what's your plan? So omnichannel fulfillment looks like this. If, if you're a private label seller, you want to send a container to us, you tell us, hey, 60% goes into FBA immediately. And then I want you know 30% going to um, my Shopify fulfillment and 10% maybe FBM or 10% to influencers. We're going to make a bundle and we're going to give an insert. We're going to send this to the influencers. They're going to promote it on their socials. So the ability for us to say we're, we're deeply knowledgeable about Amazon FBA, but we also do these omni-channel. We'll, we'll do an integration with your Shopify store. We'll, you know, we'll allow you to edit an SOP to give us an insert and a handwritten note if you want us to, that, that goes to your influencers who are going to promote your product. So um, you know, the ability to send inventory to us and know it can go to a variety of different marketplaces or a variety of different channels where you need to get inventory because that's the, the stage that your business is at. So 
those are those are the three most common things we hear from um, our clients as to what they like about us. So if you'd like to get exclusive access to episodes early, go to our private Facebook group, Amazon Seller Network, subscribe today, and you can get episodes as soon as they're released, as well as be able to interact with our whole massive community right there in that private Facebook group. This kind of interview has gone a little bit more into your guys' services, and, and I know I'm focusing on that, but I think it's really interesting because it is such a, um, an important piece of our business and, and really understanding um, how you guys conceptually do things uh, differently is, is, is interesting to me at least, and, and I'm sure to, to everyone listening. So, um, you know, what, what's kind of also ringing in my, in my head right now is, is, you know, the, the challenges I think with, with us as sellers, right. Is, is yes. Okay. We have a manufacturer. Yes. We have a three PL maybe, you know, um, and we obviously have Amazon FBA. Um, but it's that, it's that, that software piece, um, that, that, that manages, you know, in in a in a in the a Nirvana world, it would be right from manufacturer invoice through to you know shipping through to three PL through to to Amazon. That whole kind of supply chain management, um, you know, through through a software platform um, is, is you know, and and then obviously when you're in order three PLs, knowing where your stock is and not having to necessarily ask your car manager but log in and see that, definitely it sounds like Preptopia has that and and. That's super cool to me, but how far, you know, I have a few questions on that, but like from a user experience, how far up the chain uh, are you guys, um, you know, helping on the SOP around like when they actually place their order and, and order their stuff from the manufacturer and, and are sending it to Preptopia, when do they integrate that into, um, you know, my FBA Prep and Preptopia, how, how far is that integration uh, along that supply chain? Uh, so within Preptopia, we start when um, when the client sends us their purchase order from their manufacturer. That's where gotcha. we pick it up. If you're at, so that's the software. If you're asking as a company how far up the supply chain do we go, we have plenty of freight forwarders and let's say special relationships with uh, people who help get inventory from Asia to the U.S. Um, and and if you're manufacturing in the U.S., you know trucking companies that help move inventory around, um, we we do that as well. But but within the software. Uh, the the process begins when a client uploads their purchase order, um, and then and then ultimately the warehouse can see that the client has just put that purchase order in. And now when it hits the dock, they know, okay, I'm going to open up Preptopia and start checking it in, which um, obviously they can do with a, a, a scan gun. Um, it, it, actually, the app works on a cell phone as well, so they can literally, nice. if you if you don't want to supply your uh, this is for our warehouses. If you don't want to supply your warehouse team with scan guns, they can use their cell phone and check it in like that. I mean, we've we've tried to make it as as baby easy as possible for all parties involved. That that gives all the relevant information you would need. Yeah, I mean that's super cool. I mean, you know, we were looking at that kind of software integration with with uh, Zonguru at, at some stage, and that's exactly where I went. I was like, dude, we needed a, we need an app on a cell phone because you know every three PL has their own different system, you know, and and, and trying yeah. to integrate so. Um, I, I think last question on that. I'm just curious, but you know, when you guys launched my FBA prep, how was that story of of one, you know, in concept going? Okay, we're going to create this network. We need to go and pitch all these three PLs. One, we have to understand their requirements, but pitch them on being part of my FBA prep, um, and then uh, at the same time developing a software that will integrate all of their services and everything with you guys. 
how how was that that which came first and how the hell did you guys do that that's awesome yeah i wish i could say uh <laughs> we had some sort of clue what this would turn into at the time my answer and you can ask my partner separately but my answer is we didn't have any clue and in fact mm. uh, I, I didn't i didn't respond to this at the beginning of the at the call but um our our starter story we had we had gotten together as partners and said this is the right team. We're going to do something and we want to do it big. Um, we proceeded to vet out no less than, I'd say, 10 or 15 ideas very seriously. And at the time, um, we we were basically selling a, a bit of inventory on Amazon and we had some partnerships where um, we were we were building you know, e-commerce websites and we, and we needed um, warehouses that would do both uh, direct-to-consumer fulfillment and FBA prep. That was sort of the task. And I remember where I was when I was talking to one of my partners, Tom, and he was explaining to me about a warehouse visit he did in Florida. And he was, he was saying to me, you know, it's not, uh, it's not all machines. It's not super automated, but these guys are good because they know Amazon FBA prep. And these guys are good because we can trust them in these ways and they're super communicative and, and all the important things that are important for, at the time, me a seller, but now our clients um, who use our services. And I remember getting this, uh, like goosebumps feeling when he said, man, these guys are so good. I think we could even, um, um, sell their services to other sellers we know and help other Amazon sellers get their, their goods prepped. And when he said that, I just thought about it for a second. And I was like, that that's, that's amazing. I mean, just thinking back on it now is, is funny because we've come so far um, but that was, that was sort of, um, at least my side of the story, the inception moment, um, in that mm -hmm. conversation we had and, and how we did it is we kind of took it just one step at a time, not knowing that we were building the network yet. We started by saying, Hey, we have this need, we'll scratch our own itch and then we'll add to it people at that time, just in the Florida area. And that, that to this day is warehouse 01. Uh, they, at the time they were in sunrise, Florida, they've grown into a bigger warehouse in Boca Raton. But we were basically taking customers from um, we were taking customers from other big 3PLs, and it was it was sort of in the second half of the year, and containers were sitting in the parking lot because the warehouses were too busy to check them in, yeah. and 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 that's just a state of the supply chain. Everyone knows that now. We've we've all seen the pictures of off the off Port of Long mm -hmm. Beach, but that that is often the case at 3PLs during Q4. Guess what? If you're warehouse or your 3PL is clogged during Q4, wouldn't you like to have 39 others in the US you could send the inventory to that aren't clogged? Call your account manager. We'll, we'll have your inventory sent somewhere else. Sometimes if it's, if it's our fault, we're going to pay for that. We're going to pay to truck it from wherever is full to wherever is not full, and we're going to get your goods done. So um, that, that, that was the beginning of it. And then, and then we kind of grew naturally. I remember calling what now is Warehouse 03, uh, Dave is the warehouse owner. He's a former Amazon seller, runs a warehouse now. Actually, interestingly enough, runs um, uh, the Amazon DSP, delivery service partner, the, the mm. Dodge vans and the Mercedes Sprinter vans that you see for the last mile. Um, so he's he's a Amazon guy in his background, and he's still one of our warehouses. And I called him and I said, hey, I got some partners. Uh, we, we've started this business and this service. I knew him as someone who was processing my inventory. I said, would you be interested in a model like this? And he was like, tell me about it a little bit more. And, 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 um, and he said, well, if you're telling me that you're going to 
sell my services and send me customers and I make money for it, then yeah, I'm interested. And so we started piecing them together. Um, and then, and then I would say about a year ago, um, I had this moment where I was, I was going through just a, a mountain of emails and a number of them were from inbound warehouses. So warehouses now applying on our website saying, um, can I be within the warehouse network, the MyFDA prep warehouse network, which would be like, you know, somebody saying, I want to list my house on Airbnb. And I had this moment of like, I remember when I used to have to explain it to warehouses. I remember when I used to have to sell people on, on joining our network. And then I'd have to, you know, fly out or drive out to go vet them and make sure they knew what they were doing. And I'd we'd test them with our own inventory so that if they made any mistakes, it wouldn't harm a client. And, and now we've gotten to a point where we're able to sort of pick and choose who we let in the network based on their reputation or based on, you know, if you think of like a you know, 200 point inspection, when you take your car in, it's like, we, we have a checklist of things that we want to ask them and we want to understand before we consider partnering with them. So um, all of the, all of the, the grand sort of network um, and the technology that all came along the way. In fact, almost none of it was, was obvious at the beginning. And then a, a few key moments were like, okay, we should do this. We should really blow this out. We should try and scale it and grow it. And um, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a wild ride, but um, you can fast forward to today. And I will say, um, if you look at the top 100 sellers on Amazon, uh, I think five of them are our clients at this point. Um, we, we do some very serious volume with um, some of the largest companies. And, and what's interesting is that our value proposition works best for the largest sellers who have the most complicated supply chains and problems. I'll, I'll give one very short example of that. If you're an aggregator, which is super popular, let's say in the last two years, um, what, what you're doing first is you're raising money and, and sort of getting permission from private equity and from Wall Street to use capital to purchase brands. Um, I think the stage we're in now that we've seen tons of acquisitions is the operational stage. But what you have to imagine is the team within any aggregator who's responsible for the supply chain. And they have this problem. They say, hey, my, my sales guys have just gone out and purchased 10 brands. What do those brands come with? 10 different supply chain partners. What are they looking to do? They want to consolidate. Just as they want to consolidate who's handling our PPC, who's handling our video ads, who's handling our listing optimizations. They want to take all that in-house and have the team work on that, which is how you reach your economies of scale. But on the supply chain, it's difficult. If you're purchasing 50 brands in a year, you're often getting as many as 50 warehouse partners or some companies are doing it internally. So what they're looking to do is consolidate that and they need a partner like MyFBA Prep that has the scale. So you know, 39, 40 locations in the US is a good start. They want to turn on Canada, we have three in Canada. They want to look at Europe. We have eight in Europe, you know? So um, it's, uh, we, we've kind of gone up the, up the ladder in terms of who our target market is. And on the low side, we have, let's say, you know, multiple seven or low eight figure private label sellers or companies that, you know, have about 15 to 25 people. And then on the high end, we have a publicly traded company, 200 plus people. I've, I've done lots of publicity with them. So it's not really a secret who they are. And, and we have others that are making lots of noise or raising lots of money in the aggregator space on Amazon. And um, yeah, the, 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 the sort of scale of their businesses make our um, selling points and our 
methodology of handling supply chain at scale in lots of different places, it makes it work. So that's um, that's been interesting to see the, the the match of like who we're trying to be and what we're trying to do in the market. And then these players that, again, two years ago, aggregator wasn't really a term you heard. Now those are coming together and we're servicing these large at-scale clients um, quite nicely. All right, if you'd like to get access to our latest hot products that sell on Amazon right now, plus a whole bunch of other free value, go to zonguru.com forward slash podcast and get access to everything right now in your hands to help you grow your Amazon business. Timing in business is freaking everything. And you know, you, know, you, you think about my FBA prep and you're like, that's a big idea, but it needs scale, right? And boom, you know, aggregators come along, and you're like, "Well, sweet, you've got scale," you know. So yeah. I think I think uh, you know, and 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 that's that's also beneficial to the SMB because once that network is is jamming and and there's scale, there's efficiencies that come with that, and then you know, you you can look at the the, the smaller SMB, um, and he benefits from the efficiencies of that scale, right? So so it's it's kind of like a beautiful combination of, of all of that. So it's it's cool, yeah, and and that's you know, literally. You, it would be much harder to do that um, a few years ago with, without kind of the push that's happening right now. So, um, you know, between that and COVID and everything, it's, it's just the perfect timing for, for you guys. So congrats. That's that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So uh, we spent a lot of time on that, but I, I, I would love to just, you know, end with with, with kind of a few insights from you around, um, you know, with with everything that's happening, we, we know the challenges, right? I think if the audience here knows the challenges with Amazon and, you know, limited stock, um, you, you know, you pretty much if you sit on Amazon now, you have to have a 3PL, you have to have an FBA, you have to have an FBM strategy. Um, you know, you, you, you have to have omni-channel to a degree. Um, uh, but there's also a lot of insights uh, around um, moving stock even from, um, you know, warehouses to, to Amazon. You know, what service should you use? Um, you know, should it be um, contracted couriers? Should it be, you know, LTLs? Um, you know, there's ways that if you have the insider knowledge that you can be more efficient um, with 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 your your stock in um, and, uh, you know, how that impacts your cost of goods, your net profit, et cetera. So do you have any like high level insights around that and, and you know, the kind of the latest, greatest strategies or, or tactics um, based on, you know, either storage or fulfillment into Amazon? Sure. So um, a, a trend that that I think, everyone already knows is, is with COVID, the Amazon storage limitations have been um, up and down is, is sort of the nicest way I can say it. And so a lot of, let's say, private label sellers who previously were able to send full containers direct from Asia from their manufacturer into Amazon can no longer do that because Amazon's limiting their storage. And so what, what they're doing now is they're sending to our warehouses, we're storing it. And as I mentioned, we're we're sending in as much as we can to FBA, and then we're turning the rest of the inventory that we're holding on for FBM. Um, as, as I'm sure your, your listeners already know, you just never want to be out of stock. I've, I, one, of, one of our advisors uh, is Scott Needham, and he says one of, one of the main things that his Amazon wholesale company, Buyboxer, does is they, they stay in stock. So that's the value they offer to the customer is if you want to buy the thing that we sell, we will have it, you know? And that sounds very simple, but how many of us have run out of inventory in Q4 or just ever, um, you know, from a business standpoint, you're leaving money on the table, but um, from the customer standpoint, they, they can't buy from you if, you if you don't have it in stock. So um, we, we help solve that problem, number one, at a high level, you know, Amazon's limiting what you can send, 
send it to people who understand the Amazon ecosystem and can actually proactively send FBA shipments into Amazon for you. Now, the, the, the next level there, which you alluded to is, well, how, what's, the, what's the most efficient way to do that? Do you want to go small parcel? Do you want to go LTL? Do you want to go full truckload? Um, unfortunately, there's no one size fits all. We try and go the most efficient way that makes sense for the customer. Some customers can't send in a full truckload either by Amazon limitations or they don't have enough SKUs, enough inventory to, to fill a truckload. Okay, we'll typically look at LTL there. Um, we have a, a relationship with Amazon Freight, which operates completely independently of the fulfillment centers. In fact, as a side note, Amazon Freight exists to take on Uber Freight and motherships. It's, it's really an independent service where only some portion of it ends up you know, at, at an Amazon fulfillment center. But by using that service, we actually skip the line. Um, we have a warehouse near ONT6 in Moreno Valley. That's the uh, fulfillment center code. I have driven by that warehouse and seen a line of trucks out of the facility that spans a mile long. Okay. Wow. You are not getting unloaded in two to three hours if you're waiting a mile long. And I promise you, the benefit of Amazon Freight is that they go to a different numbered door, right? A dock, and you get checked in right away. There's lots yeah. of um, there's lots of other tips regarding how you send your inventory in, what time of year, and how quickly or not it gets checked in. Uh, but maybe a, a fun fact is that um, oftentimes, if you use a non-Amazon partnered carrier truck, because Amazon's not taking responsibility for that transit, they do have to check it in quicker. And this is one of these anecdotally true, but I can't you know I can't sign my name and swear it. But anecdotally, if you use a non-partnered carrier and you're sending in, typically it's about a half truckload is where it makes sense economically, all the way up to a full truckload, they will need to, at this time of year, check it in quicker because they're they're taking possession of it when they unload it off that truck and it sits in a section within the fulfillment centers. So they need to check it in more quickly. So Amazon Freight is one way to do it because they have direct access. They're not waiting in that line. They're, they're going to an Amazon Freight door, which obviously Amazon is reserving for their subsidiary sister company type thing. And then... Um, yeah, and then using um, non-Amazon partnered carriers, people say often will get their goods checked in quicker this time of year. So you're not waiting as much as two or three weeks. You're waiting days after it lands. So um, yeah, that's a cool insight, and, and I, I I've heard the same because you know with with these partner carriers, they can they, they literally just rock up with the truck and then they unhitch the they drop carrier yeah. and they just kind of dump it. And then but then but then it's kind of like Amazon's like okay, well it's safe, it's in there. It's not going to get wet. We'll get to it's it cool. when we can. We'll yeah. get to it. But with the non-partner, they like they run up, roll up with the truck, and they like unload everything, and they go, "Right, it's here, dude. You need to like put it somewhere." Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly so right. It's, it's a live unload, and um, and Amazon is more or less when it comes off the truck and is on the floor at the fulfillment center, they now sort of are taking possession of that inventory, and they have to, you know, if they obviously if they make a mistake for it, they'll have to reimburse. So, um, yeah, that's a that's a. Quick tip for anybody out there saying, you know, I mean, it's 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 going to be a little late at this point to get goods in for Christmas by the time this episode airs, yeah, but yeah. good to know and good to have in your back pocket for for later. Sure, sure, sure. There's going to be other crunches for sure. Um, uh, last question, and you might not have an answer on this, but you know, shipping from from China, you know, a, a container. Obviously, the horror stories of the pricing, right? It was it was like two thousand dollars, and now it's twenty five thousand dollars. You know, to get to get a container over. 
yeah. there's got to be a hustle around that. Like I'm sure maybe you've heard some things, but but how you know are there any hustles around that or how to get around that? Like um, any any ways of <laughs> of trying to get shipments over from from China that that uh, na- like na- navigates that? Have you, have you heard anything along those lines? I've heard so, one thing, which which yeah. T- tell me, uh, I'm going to answer the same way regardless. I'd love to hear uh, what what you've heard. Well, I mean, I think I think what I'm I'm hearing on the grapevine is is this ability. You know, China basically what they're doing is they're taking a container, but you don't have to fill that container. They they're kind of like collating it on that side and then sending it over. So you're just paying for your little piece within that container, not having to pay for the yeah. whole container. Then they're coming over, they're kind of prepping it and and sending it out in, directly into Amazon that way. So it's kind of like that storage and everything is happening on the China side, but. Um, yeah, that, yeah that, I, that's, I don't know how much the the Western side has really accessed that yet, but I think that's a big way that a lot of the China, um, you know, sellers are, are, are keeping their costs down. Yeah, so that's true. Um, what you said, it's it's also been true before COVID, and will continue to remain true after COVID. Um, if anyone wants to look at a, a entire discussion just on this, um, anyone who's at the Prosper show, there was a a session on supply chain and you know, the byline is something about containers sitting in ports from China. Um, uh, and, and you can watch that session. I was, I was there and it was, it was very insightful. Um, mm. um, one, one quick idea is to, you know, people analyze costs, but, but we're, we're very quick to forget about um, all the costs involved. So I've, I've heard people say on your podcast before that, uh, for example, if a, if a private label seller is evaluating, what does it cost me to sell FBA on Amazon and you know, whatever, Amazon's going to take 30% of that sale versus Shopify and Shopify is going to take 2% of that sale or something like that, then, well, hey, look, there's 28% difference. Uh, Wait a minute, you're not accounting for the cost to drive the traffic to Shopify, right? So similarly here, people say, what does it cost for me to send it uh, from Asia to the port of Long Beach? Um, I would recommend looking at other ports that will reduce the time it takes for, let's just say, check-in at the port. From the time it lands to the time you can receive it in the States, go to a different port. There are, everyone thinks there's like two or three or four. There's over 200, it's like 260 or something in the US. Every, all up and down, you can go wherever. Now, freight forwarders, because of what you said, freight forwarders want to consolidate on the Asia side and fill the container. They want an FCL, right? So they want every inch of, of space or centimeter of space in, in their terminology. They want every centimeter of space filled inside that container. Um, and they will do that. But you can have your freight forwarder say, I want to go somewhere else. It might look to be more expensive, but nothing is more expensive than having zero inventory mm-hmm. in Amazon. Let's not even talk about your ranking, which you should be thinking about, but nothing is more expensive than not being able to sell your inventory. So send it to, I like the Port of Savannah, the technology, the, the, the best analogy I heard uh, one of the CEOs of our warehouses use is he says, the Port of Savannah is like the Amsterdam airport compared to the Chicago O'Hare airport, which is Long <laughs> Beach, okay? If you've been to those two airports, you know there is a massive difference in efficiency and customer experience. One of them is like a high-end shopping mall that's beautiful and you want to have a meal in. And the other one is like a, how did I get stuck with so many people around me experience, like planes, trains, and automobiles. So send it to a Port of Savannah or similar, you know, Houston's good. You could New Jersey is even better than Long Beach, but you can um, you can take advantage of having a quicker, more efficient service once it lands and getting it in. What I cannot solve is the four to ten x price increase um, on the containers now. 
Um, I will, I will, I will actually bring up something and I'll give credit where credit is due. So I was listening to your episode a couple of weeks ago with um, Stephen Pope, my Amazon guy. And of course I clicked on that one because my partner, Tom knows Stephen, And um, I, I just, I like his work. I like what he's doing. I think he's, uh, he knows what's up. And what he said in terms of trends moving forward is higher quality manufacturing America. What does that have to do with your question to me? Well, you simply do not have costs out of your control to the degree that we're seeing right now with the shipping containers if you're manufacturing in America. All politics aside, I think there's lots of benefits for keeping the supply chain close if possible. And if the trend on Amazon actually starts to move in that direction where it's less about price, like i.e. the Walmart model, and more about quality and brand, which is something you talk about an awful lot, if you're if you're truly following the brand model, then you can be less price sensitive in, in how you price. And Amazon will actually reward you for being a better brand um, than than just having the lowest price. Now that's all you can A B test that and keep yourself honest because uh, I don't recommend smart. doing that overnight. But but that that yep, yep. that is one solution to to that um, to that problem. Of course, it doesn't work for everyone. Nothing on Amazon works for everyone. But it's it's an idea to think about, which is I can avoid that whole headache altogether if I change this in my supply chain. Um, so just an idea to, to throw out there. Yeah, and, and, and obviously a, a big interest in Mexico, um, you know, and, and again, that's it, a little bit closer. There's obviously port entry issues still, but, um, you know, it's, it's different ports, different ways. So, you know, Mex- Mexico is also a big interest at the moment in, in how, how to source prop, uh, you know, stuff from there. I, I definitely jumped on that bandwagon. Early on, I went to a few trade shows down there, but um, there's some cool stuff in Mexico, man, as well. So I'll tell you very quickly on the fulfillment side, we have warehouse partners that when I met them were out of California that now have facilities in Tijuana. Mm. The cost for them to ship from Tijuana to the U.S. and the labor and the buildings down there, they have such savings and overhead that it makes it worth it for them to house you know, American companies' inventory in Tijuana and direct fulfill to the U.S. There's also a huge, well, huge if you're in the in the space, uh, legislative piece, which is something like this. I'm paraphrasing. If you're if the individual item, if the value is under seventy five dollars, customs will not stop it for inspection. It'll just let it go through if it's under seventy five dollars. Mm. And so, if you think of most of the things we buy on Amazon, I don't know what the percentage would be, but most of it's you know under $75 for sure. Um, and so, you know, that's what people are doing on the fulfillment side. You're talking about sourcing. I, I think it's the same idea, right? Where can you go where, where you would avoid sort of the bigger problems that you run into, whether it's on the, you know, 3PL side or on the, on the sourcing side or manufacturing side. And, um, yeah, being a little bit creative can, can often, you know, be a competitive advantage. That's it. And I think super cool advice because, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's what we teach all our sellers, right? It's like, they they love to focus on one specific thing and they're like, you know, for example, like sales estimates or something. They're like, well, you know, it's one number out of it. Like, look at the bigger picture. What is the niche? You know, understand the full picture here, right? And and in this case, you know, you un- you need to understand your cogs from from manufacturer to in, into into FBA, what price you can do. Yes, maybe along that whole supply chain management, certain things might be more expensive, but at the end of the day, there might be a massive saving um, overall. So uh, super good advice. Um, it's gone much longer than 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 uh, we, we we thought it would, and that's super cool. Thank you for being on this. 
how do people get in touch with you? And is there is there a specific minimum level they need to be at before they can be considered to be working with MyFBAPrep? Sure. Uh, go to myfbaprep.com. You can set up a, a call if you want to hear more. You can also see more information. Um, and of course, I'll, I'll post this podcast and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, is there a minimum? Uh, we will entertain clients who are doing uh, as little as 5,000 units a month. Um, we likely will not entertain it if it's less than that, but give us a call anyway, because we like to hear um, from sellers and oftentimes we'll throw them a bone and say, we're not going to be able to take you on as my FBA prep, but we have a, a warehouse that would love to have your your prep and we know them. And why don't you, why don't you go over here? So um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to respond to anything. And if you mention uh, John Tilly or Zon Guru in the subject line, I am way, way, way more likely to click on it and open it. So go ahead and do that. <laughs> All right. I like it. Taylor, good to have you on my, my friend and uh, uh, really good advice. Uh, love, love your guys' business. Uh, I'm sure. It's a, it's a big road ahead and uh, congratulations. And I'm sure we'll be in touch soon on this podcast again. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I, I love what you're doing with your audience. Hey, hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to check out more episodes, be sure to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts and subscribe today. Many episodes to check out.